Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for the opportunity to uh, preach from this pulpit and the opportunity to join with you in this global impact celebration. Uh, It's going to be an exciting week. We have some great folks from South Asia with us that uh, will be able to share stories of how God is at work. And uh, just watching the video made me very homesick. Uh, Know those brothers on that video and and the work that they're doing is very exciting uh, in India especially. In the face of the uncertainties we see in our world today, in our country, or perhaps even in our own lives, there's something that is certain and is found in Revelation chapter 7. And I'd invite your attention there this morning, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and we will read from verse 9 through verse 17. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. After these things I looked... And behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Those who are clothed in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come from the great tribulation. They've washed their, washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer nor thirst any more. Nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Father, this is a grand vision of heaven that we know is certain. It is a vision to come in the future. And Lord, in the meantime, we work toward that vision. This is our calling to take the Great Commission, the the gospel, and make disciples of all nations so that one day we would see a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language gathered around your throne and worshiping you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In June of 1992, we finally arrived in Karachi, Pakistan. We had been trying for a year to get our visas, twice our Visa information had been lost. It seemed that the government didn't really want us to arrive in that land. But but we finally landed on a hot and balmy night in June of 92. And uh, as we landed, our four-month-old daughter wasn't too happy. We, we descended the stairs of that plane and were surrounded by paramilitary troopers with AK-47s. We thought, well, this is a, a different place. I hadn't been greeted this way before. We walked into the immigration center there, the line in that old airport in Karachi, and uh, the the fans up above were going in slow motion, 
and barely able to move the thick layer of dust that was on the floor. The, the immigration uh, officers were seated on platforms that were raised up, and they kind of scowl, scowled at us as they looked down at us, peered down on us down below, saying, what are you foreigners doing here? This is the land of the pure. We don't need any of you foreigners here. Now, Pakistan, and Pastor, I have to commend you on saying the name of the country correctly, because most Americans say Pakistan. And if you listen to many TV news programs, it's usually Pakistan. There's a reason it's Pakistan. In the Urdu language, Pak means pure or holy. Stan means land. So Pakistan is land of the pure or holy. Now, where do they get that from? Well, when the British were being forced out of the subcontinent, the Indian subcontinent, they they drew maps. And the Muslims were pushing for their own homeland because they they didn't want to be under Hindu domination. They had swept in across the subcontinent four or five hundred years previous. They ruled under the Mughal kings, and then the British came and took control. They had never been under the domination of the Hindus, and they didn't want it now. And so they pushed for their own homeland, and they, they received that homeland in two large chunks of property, East and West Pakistan. Now, the Pakistanis call India Hindustan, the land of the Hindus, and it, it's, an, it's a derogatory term in their mind. The Indians call their land Bharat, which means Mother India, the land that gives them birth. And so, as we walked in past immigration officers, the, the airport was in chaos. We had landed behind three 747s of Hajis returning from Mecca. And there was just a sea of white because all the men were wearing white shower kameezes, the long tunics with the baggy pants, and, and it was just a sea of white across there. And there were no women in that place. They were all men. Well, it was so crowded, we, we, after we got our bags, we couldn't push our way through customs, and someone said, go out that side door. So we went out the side door, all of our bags, you know, a mound of bags with walking out that door, and we entered in, into that another sea of men who, wearing white shawar kameezas who were there to meet those that had just returned from the Hajj, and we, we couldn't push our way through that crowd and over to where the missionaries were that were uh, there to pick us up. Now, you might say, why didn't you call them on your cell phone? I said, there weren't cell phones in those days. In fact, young people, the Internet had not arrived. And so we had no way to contact them, so I said, Susan, you're going to have to Stay here while I try to make my way through the crowd and find the people that came to get us. Now, Susan wasn't supposed to look a Pakistani man in the eye. That wasn't culturally appropriate. There must have been 50 hands on our bags all wanting to help us get to where we wanted to go. And she was trying to keep her eyes down, and I was leaving, and she was holding our four-month-old baby, and uh, it was a little stressful. And as she sort of peered up, From time to time, all she could see was a sea of white which reminded her of sheep without a shepherd, of those who were desperate need of the gospel, of those who were lost and dying and entering a Christless eternity one day. In many ways, that scene was a cheap imitation of what we just read about. Those who are seeking to be religious in their own way and their own right and trying to make themselves pure through their own efforts, they were not able to do that. 
a cheap imitation of that vision of heaven where every nation, tribe, people, and language will be gathered before the throne, worshiping him with palm branches in their hands. That, that vision is not my vision. It's not the, mission, the vision of the International Mission Board that we came up with. This is the vision of Scripture. This is the real end of history. This is what we're going to see one day. It's, it's a vision worth dying for. And indeed, many of our personnel, your IMB missionaries, have given their lives for this vision. Many have been martyred through the years. Others have lost their lives from illness or sickness. This year, we will add four more names to that list. There's a, a wall of honor as you leave the dining room at the International Learning Center. You, you walk down toward a conference room. There's a wall there with dozens and dozens of names of missionaries who have given their lives in service for the Master, seeking to bring the gospel to the nations. That vision that we call on and, and, and gives us direction every day is to see a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, knowing and worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. Vision is essential for any venture. We've got to have vision. Churches need vision. Families need vision. Organizations need vision. And, and indeed, if we don't have vision, we'll get lost along the way. Now, there are a number of ways to get to that vision. You can take a 747 or a, a jeepney or a canoe to be a part of getting to that vision. But the vision is what drives us. It's where we're heading. Now, Solomon talked about vision as well in Proverbs 29:18 In the King James Version, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. The New American Standard says, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. The Christian standard Bible says, without revelation, people run wild. It reminds me of that time as the people of Israel had crossed over the Red, the, the, the Red Sea. They had seen that amazing miracle, sea opening up. And then they had received water from a rock. They had received manna and meat. They had met the Amalekites in battle. They had won. And yet, where's that Moses fellow? He's been up on that mountain a while, and they got a little impatient. So they go to Aaron. They say, Aaron, we don't know what happened to that Moses who brought us through the sea. So uh, you make us a God that we can worship. And so he said, okay, give me your gold. Give me your gold earrings. And he fashioned a golden calf. And the Lord said, you better go down and see about your people, because they are sinning. So, what is it? Is it where there is no vision, the people perish? Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained? Where, re without revelation, people run wild? Well, it seems like it's, it's all three. When the people lost vision of the Most High God, they, they ran wild. They cast off restraint, and that day 3,000 people perished. They were leaderless without a vision. Vision is so important. It, it, it helps us get to where we're going. Revelation 7-9 reveals where history is heading. There is a day when believers from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language of the hundreds and hundreds of languages in our world today will be clothed in white with palm branches in their hands. None of these will be left behind. 
And it won't be like that cheap imitation we saw in the airport that day of the the religiosity of those returning from a Muslim hajj. It'll be the real thing. This vision guards us. It it holds us together. It, It gives us direction. It helps us prosper in our lives so that we can know salvation in no one else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The good news is is only good if it gets there on time. And in our day, every day, 154,937 people die and enter a Christless eternity. Every day around our world, that many people perishing without Christ. Where there is no vision, the people perish and spend eternity forever separated from God. We're gathering here today because we believe we can do something about that. We believe we had good we have good news to take to the nations. News that will change people's lives, will transform communities, will will impact countries. So let's let's look at this vision, four characteristics of this vision this morning. The first is the the who of the vision. The who of the vision. The scripture states that God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2.4. He desires every person, all peoples, uh, to be saved. Of course, that will only happen as they have an opportunity to hear the gospel, as they have an opportunity to respond to God's invitation by faith. As we think about the Great Commission, we could look at it from three different metrics. Now, we know the Great Commission. He's called us to make disciples of all nations. Well, let's think about the individual metric. Mark 16, 15 says, and then he, uh, he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So we have a mandate to take the gospel to every person on the planet, to take that good news, which starts right here in Birmingham. It goes up to the highlands of Scotland where I served for a couple of years and, and all the way to Bosnia and, and, and beyond. How about the ethnic metric? There's that passage in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then Jesus says it again after his re- uh, resurrection in Luke 24, 46 to 47. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That word nations is the word ethne. It's, it's the word for people groups, unique people groups who have a unique culture, a language, a worldview, a religion. And every one of those people groups needs to hear the gospel in our world today. Panta ta ethne means all people groups. And so that's part of our challenge is getting the gospel to every one of these people groups around the world today. One way to know that you've entered a new people group is if the gospel stops flowing. Perhaps it was flowing well through a people group and it comes up against another one and it slows down or it even stops as it enters that people group. And that's one indication that perhaps you've entered a new people group and you'll have to develop a new strategy, a new way of entering into that people group, a new way of sharing the gospel with them so they understand it in their own heart language and in their own worldview, whether they're a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist. Today we know that there are almost 12,000 people groups, 11,792 of these unique people groups 
Among those, there are 7,135 UPGs. That's an unreached people group. That's a people group that's less than 2% evangelical Christian. So it's difficult for that group to continue to reach their own people. Now, within that 7,000, there's another 3,058 UUPGs. Those are unengaged, unreached people groups. Those are people groups that we don't know if there's anybody working among them. We don't know if there's any Christian, any church, any organization, anywhere trying to reach those people groups. That's over 3,000 people groups that are being untouched with the gospel. And today, your IMB missionaries are engaging over 1,000 people groups around the world. Now, we have engaged some people groups, and they have grown significantly, and we've, we've unengaged ourselves from that because they can continue to grow through their own ministry and their own efforts in reaching their own people. And so that, that's just the current number that we're working with. And then the third metric we could think about is the geographic metric. Acts 1a, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now notice what he says there. He doesn't say then. In Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. He says and. So we don't do this sequentially, we do it simultaneously. And in our day, it's so much easier to do that. We can get anywhere in the world in 24 hours. If we get on an airplane, I I know we remember what airplanes are like. We haven't been on them in a while, perhaps. But someday, we'll be back on those those planes taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, I would dare say we're, we're almost to every geopolitical nation in the world. But there are strongholds, and there are those countries that try to keep the gospel out. Uh, the Maldives boasts of being a country that's 100% Muslim. They're very proud of that. They do everything they can to keep the gospel witness out. Dozens of missionaries have been kicked out of that country over the years. We were developing a new strategy and one of our guys went in and he was uh, going to meet a national partner that was coming the next day from another South Asian country and he decided he would go out into the community, just talk with some people and begin to share the gospel. And he was in a, in a group of a young men, and a crowd started gathering around him. An old man came up and heard what was going on. He was sharing the gospel with these young men. And so he's on his cell phone, and within minutes, the police roar up, put him in the car, take him to the police station, start interrogating him. I get a phone call. Uh, I was out on the road, and... Uh, Brother KG called me and said, uh, I'm in a little bit of trouble here in the Maldives. Um, I may need some help. I don't know what it's going to take to get me out of here, but uh, pray for me. And so we started praying and trying to decide what we needed to do next. Well, the next day, uh, Kevin was released, and the next day his uh, national partner arrives. And he was bringing the materials they were going to use to distribute around different islands. The Maldives is a string of islands off the southwest coast of India. Beautiful place. And they x-rayed his bag coming in, and they found all these materials. And he was treated pretty harshly. He was sent down to the island prison. 
One of the islands there is set aside for a prison. And so he's there on that island. We're trying to figure out how to get him out of there. And uh, he's, he is treated pretty harshly. He's tortured some as well. The first night, he hears all this loud commotion and screeching out in the jungle. And so he can't sleep all night. He, he gets up the next morning and said, What is that noise out in the jungle? And the guys in the prison said, Well, those, those are demons out there. That's, that's demonic. This is a demonic place. This is a dark place. And he said, Really? He said, Okay, well, tonight I'm going to pray that everything will be quiet so I can sleep. And he prays, quiet, all night, not a sound. The next morning, several of those guys come to him saying, okay, who did you pray to last night? He said, I prayed to the God of heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. I prayed in the name of Jesus. They said, tell us more. And over the next two weeks, which was how long he was how long he had to stay in that prison. He led 12 Bengalis to Christ, Bengali Muslims, and he led four local people to Christ. So we know it's no longer 100% Muslim in that country. God did have a breakthrough. Now, if we knew he was going to be that effective, we should have probably left him there a little bit longer. No. We wanted to get him out. So the vision is not about some and many. It's about all and every. All people and in every tribe, nation, tongue. The who of the vision are still out there. And they're still waiting after 2,000 years to hear this gospel for the very first time. The second characteristic of our vision is the where. The where of the vision. Where is this taking place? Where are the people? They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's where we long to be. And that, that is where we will be. One day, when every tear is wiped away and there's no more pain or suffering, this world is not our home. This is where the who must be. These these people who are still waiting for the gospel, we long for the who to be there, to be before that throne one day. Paul reminds us that many gave their lives for the sake of this vision, and, and the writer of Hebrews makes it really clear they suffered for the sake of, of the gospel. In Hebrews 11, the the writer reminds us that some were tortured, some were mocked, scourged, some were in chains and imprisonment, some were stoned. They were sawn in two. Some were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts, caves, holes in the ground. All of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not see what was promised. But they believed it was coming. They believed it was coming. All the way back to Abraham, who was looking for that city, whose architect and builder was God. Hebrews 11.10. So the, the who and the where, and now the how. The how of the vision. Ephesians 2 reminds us of our former state, of who we are before we were in Christ. We were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we formerly walked in accordance with the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, 
indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We bear the curse of Adam. We're dead in our sins. So how? How do we get to wear those white robes? It's certainly not from anything we have done in our own efforts, in our own strength, in our own ingenuity, in our own goodness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Paul made it so clear in 1 Corinthians 15 where he said, I deliver to you of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to the twelve. He appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to over 500 people. So Paul got to the core of the gospel. Christ crucified. It was God's plan. It was ordained. This didn't take God by surprise. There was resurrection. Christ rose from the dead. He is alive today. He is coming back. And there was evidence. There were eyewitnesses that saw this. Paul got to the core of the gospel. And he, he, the Lord, took off our stinking, ragged grave clothes and he replaced them with white robes. I was on a, a bike tour outside of Bangalore. Kevin was with us. I wish he would be here today. And we were uh, riding through different villages outside of Bangalore where the, the government was planning to put satellite cities of about a million each. And as we rode through uh, these villages, it was a hot day, and so we stopped under this big shade tree in the middle of the village. And the, uh, the guide said, hey, do you know what this tree is? I said, well, Rods, right now, it's a really good shade tree. And he said, no, this is the judgment tree. I said, what do you mean, judgment tree? He said, this is where the village elders bring somebody who's transgressed the laws of the village. And they pass judgment on them under this tree. I said, do you know that there's another who's coming? Who hung on a tree and died for our sins. And he's coming again. And he's coming to judge the world. And you have an opportunity, Raj, to put your faith in him so that one day you will stand before him in a white robe. I shared my testimony with him, and he was tracking along. We shared the gospel with him. And uh, I asked him, Raj, are you, are you ready to receive Christ right now? He said, yes, I am. And then I asked him, Raj, are you willing to put away all of your other gods? Because I know in his home, like most Hindu homes, there's a God shelf. And there are little idols there. And every morning, they make offerings to those idols, seeking to appease the spirits, the the demonic in their lives that they live in fear of. He said, yes, I'm ready to put that all away. And we knelt under the judgment tree that day, Wesley and Raj and I, and, and Raj prayed to give his life to Christ. And then finally, the why of the vision The why of the vision. How can these things be? Because he alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. With his blood he purchased men for God from from every nation, tribe, people, and language. He is Lord. and, And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do that in this world, but one day you will do this. 
every person will bow and acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We can't do this work on our own. We have to partner together. We partner together with our Southern Baptist churches. We are you. We come from your churches, our churches, and we partner together. We partner together with our national brothers and sisters around the world. After 175 years of of being the International Mission Board, we've been a part of starting 145 Baptist conventions around the world that we're partnering with to, to continue to push the gospel forward. And so thank you, Meadowbrook Baptist, for your partnership in the gospel. Now, we've given you one of our best in Kevin, so we expect a little return on that investment that we've made. But uh, will you pray more intentionally for the people groups around the world? Out on the table, uh, the tables there, there are people groups, prayer guides that you can pick up and you can pray. Every morning, start your day in praying for these people groups. On behalf of my colleagues uh, here and around the world, we want to thank you for your gifts. Giving through the cooperative program, giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering allows us to continue sending missionaries. And we have a pretty audacious goal in the next five years. We have five targets, and one of them is to send an additional 500 IMB missionaries. That's a huge challenge. That will mean an increase in giving. That will mean an increase in the number of Southern Baptist churches giving. And so pray with us as we cast this vision This vision didn't come out of thin air. We had our affinity groups leader with us last year in Richmond, and we said, how many more missionaries do you need to get the gospel to the remaining peoples? And they they added it all together, and it came to 500. And so we are pushing toward 500 additional missionaries. Pray with us that we'd be able to send 500 more. And then I would ask you to consider what part you will play in the Great Commission, because we all have a part to play whether it's on our knees in prayer or going for a week or a month or for a lifetime. What would God be asking of you this morning? And then will you bless your children and your grandchildren to go? Through some Barna studies, they found that one of the biggest impediments to the next generation going to the field are parents who are fearful of allowing their children to go overseas and work overseas. And go to some of these places. What is God telling you? If your child is feeling that calling, will you bless them? Will you send your best to the nations? Life is short. We have an opportunity to impact the nations and our generation. And then it passes to the next. Will we pass on the Great Commission to the next generation by blessing them to go to the nations. Thank you for your partnership, Meadowbrook. We look forward to the next few days together as we seek to partner, mobilize, engage, and empower you to be a part of this great commission around the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to look into your your vision that comes at the end of the ages. Lord, help us to be an integral part of that vision as we seek to Push the gospel to these last people groups who have yet to hear. Help every one of us to consider our role in fulfilling the Great Commission. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.